Dog Bless You is all about celebrating the love we have for our dogs, which is why I cannot think of a better sponsor for the podcast than our friends at Button Up Box. As well as delivering fresh, healthy meals for dogs that are made with 60% meat, 40% vegetables and lentils, and absolutely no nasties, Button Up Box also genuinely cares about all dogs and their humans. In fact, everything they do is for the love of dogs. And our listeners can fetch 50% off their first two Button Up Boxes by visiting buttonupbox.com slash dogblessyou. That's buttonupbox.com slash dogblessyou to get 50% off your first two boxes. Thank you so very, very much to Button Up Box. And welcome to Dog Bless You, the podcast about rescue dogs, the Wild at Heart Foundation charity, and our love of dogs in general. I'm your host, Nikki Tibbles, and in this series, we'll speak to people about their experiences with their companions and how a dog can change your life for the better. But we'll also hear some harrowing stories about the lives of some dogs here in the UK and around the world. And more importantly, we'll tell you how you can help end that. But for now, let's meet today's guest. Joining me today on Dog Bless You is uh, one of my absolute all-time heroes, Mark Abraham or Mark the Vet. I literally am sitting here in awe. For those of you who don't know Mark Vet and know nothing about Lucy's Law, Mark is not only an extraordinary veterinary surgeon, broadcaster, author, and an animal welfare campaigner. He's the guest on many TV shows, and just why I'm so honored that he's here with us today. But his passion for animal welfare is like none other. I mean, not only is he campaigning tirelessly for Lucy's Law, which we're going to talk about in a huge amount of detail as it's so relevant right now, but... Mark has worked vaccinating dogs against rabies in the Mumbai slums, rescuing dancing bears in Ukraine. You've saved cats and dogs in post-tsunami Thailand. You're neutering pets deep in the Amazonian jungle and working with pit bulls in US prisons, amongst so many other things. I mean, welcome, Mark. And if the world was filled with people like you, God damn it, what a amazing place it would be well what can i say thank you for that amazing introduction nikki um yeah pleased to be on your podcast and uh, yeah really appreciate all the kind words and I, and I have to first say it's not just me i work with a phenomenal team uh and uh, I, I love working with amazing teams either with volunteers or campaigners um because that just makes it even more fun as well but there's some incredibly yeah. committed I'm, I'm i'm fortunate to be able to front campaigns um but there's a hell of a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes by kind of unsung heroes so uh, credit to those guys too of course and you've been campaigning and working well i mean first of all i guess you're primarily a veterinary surgeon yes so i'm a i'm a vet um although i don't vet still working no unfortunately 
the campaigning literally took over. And when I was campaigning for Lucy's Law, it was just about possible to be a vet and campaign. However, now, because of the other campaigning work I do, not just obviously with, with um, dog breeding and selling related activities, but I now am the secretariat and co-founder of AppDog, which is the all-party yeah. parliamentary um, dog advisory welfare group, which is an APPG in Westminster, like an official group set up. Can you tell us just a little bit about that so everyone yeah. knows what that is? Well, APPGs, all party parliamentary groups, are set up, they're official groups set up in Westminster, and they basically uh, are around a topic. So, for example, ours is dog welfare. There's one for most countries. And what they are is um, they're overseen by uh, an MP, a chair, um, plus the vice chairs, which have to be cross-party. And you meet, not necessarily anymore, because uh, it's not that easy, um, but we did before the pandemic. We met four times a year. We brought interesting topics into the House of Commons, so greyhound racing and use of dogs and experiments and things like that, BSL. And we yep. have uh, sensible discussions in two-hour meetings. We bring opposition and um, in favour together. It's a little bit like a little uh, debate. Um, but it's really, really respectful and we try and make progress uh, every time and we have done too. So um, as well as the, the puppy stuff, let's say, um, I'm kind of working with so many more campaigns now. And I love right. it. Yeah. Blessing, blessing and, and, and a curse, really, because I can't, I'm, it's very hard to say no. And also... How can you say no to the dog? Right. So because we've done it in terms of we've changed the law using grassroots campaigning. Um a lot of people now get in touch and say, how can we do it? Are we doing the right thing? Can you read my e-petition? What do we do next? Who, can we, who yeah. do we contact? And I love helping and I love being in a position to help. So that, it really does take up a lot of time. And um, so the vetting ha has gone sort of uh, backseat, sadly. But when I do my international stuff, for example, last year I was in Korea, uh, closing down a dog meat farm with HSI, and also I was in uh, Udaipur in India with um, Animals Aid Unlimited. I get to practice my veterinary skills and vaccinations and surgery as well. So at the moment, it's, it's just reserved for the overseas uh, voluntary right. work. Can I volunteer and come with you uh, on one of your overseas projects when we're allowed? I yeah, run a sure. very good recovery clinic. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Every, my, my, um, my mantra, I guess, is everyone's welcome. Great. I'd you know, love to come. If, everyone's, if someone's, got, someone's got something to offer, then by all means, come along and help animals. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I've, in the clinics that we run in Puerto Rico, where we sterilize four and a half thousand uh, animals in six days, uh, I run a recovery clinic. So I might have a bit of use, but obviously, you know, I, but I would be so honoured and love to come on a project with you. Well, why don't we do the Puerto Rico thing and I could sterilise some dogs and we can raise some awareness around it. Yeah, I mean, Puerto Rico is, they've got half a million stray dogs in Puerto Rico and uh, we, we actually sterilise the own dogs so that we can educate as well mm -hmm. because an own dog, as you know better than anyone, is a very different beast in most countries around the world. Um, whereas sure. here, our, our dogs are very lucky as, as owned owned animals. Um, I guess really what I want to talk to you and what I think is the most uh, pertinent 
of this this conversation really for me is you have been campaigning tirelessly and brought in Lucy's Law since what was it 2009? Yeah, started started. Yeah, that's that's when the trigger happened. So that was the bearing in mind as a vet and way before that as a child I was very introvert shy geeky nerdy I didn't really have many human friends it was all You're talking about the same person here <laughs> yeah 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 um and before 2000 well actually a few years later but 2009 is when I saw my first cases of parvo virus coming into my emergency clinic which had been uh, uh, puppies that had been bought from a, uh, a legal third party dealer who had then bought them from a legal puppy farm in Wales the whole thing was completely legal mm. And that was the trigger to do something about it. Although at the time I didn't know anything about politics. I didn't know anything about campaigning. I was an emergency nightmare who did a few spots on the Paul O'Grady show. And so what we've learned, I say we, because again, grassroots campaigners, we've got a beautiful team that we work with. We just made it up as we went along. And we used all the tools that were out there available which are free and which anyone can have access to, like e-petitions, for example, or meeting your MP. Yeah. Aid, of course, was a big dog show, which started in Brighton and went, then went to Primrose Hill, judged by celebrities. Um, everything we did was free, maybe involved some sort of sponsorship, but it was possible to change the law eventually and raise awareness in the meantime using these free tools and that was that for me was the beauty of it it showed that anyone can do anything with the yes. limited zero understanding of the political landscape that's what was fun but we, we we can all do anything if we want to that's something my my father instilled in me at an early age it's like if you if, if you want to do something if you really want to do it you can and you have boy have you proved that yeah, yeah. What it took done. a while and it was bloody tough i'm not gonna lie it's, it's really really nice i mean campaigning it sounds you know exciting and it sounds like or, or a campaigner but i'd say 98 yeah. percent of campaigning is pretty depressing lonely tough yeah you're skint most of the time your time management is all over the place. You're, you're doing your day, as I say, I was working as a vet pretty much full time when I was doing the Lucy's Law campaign. So you're working in the daytime as a vet, which also is not the easiest of jobs emotionally, no. I've found. Um, but also you're then going home and you're campaigning in the, in the evening and on the weekend. And it'd be, you know, not uncommon to spend 11, 12 hours on a Saturday or a Sunday. Also, I imagine certainly initially, a very thankless task because you know there are so many issues i guess that are brought to parliamentary attention and you know animal welfare sadly is probably not high on most government's agendas or very interestingly you say that nikki because it's high on constituents agendas and most mps will tell you that their mailbags are absolutely full of animal welfare stuff but as you say on the on the actual let's say parliamentarians agendas sometimes isn't as high as we'd 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 hope and there's that beautiful gandhi quote which is you judge a nation on how it treats its animals yeah. and you you if you drill down on that quote you can actually judge a nation on how the government treats its animals yeah. and the reason why that is so significant is because 
people often see themselves as metaphors for animals. So if you're, if the, if the, if the people in power, let's say, not necessarily this government, but if the people in power, the country aren't treating the animals well, then a lot of people subconsciously think that's how they treat the humans. Yeah. And if you, if you protect and look after the most vulnerable, you're, i.e. animals, you're more likely to protect um, the humans as well. So that's I mean, the that's metaphor that's so important in that quote. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually one of my most favorite and used quotes. And the sad thing about that, though, Mark, is if you, as you say, drill down into that and, you know, I'm not sure I could name that many nations that actually would fare well in their treatment of animals. And, you know, that's the very reason that we've started the Wild at Heart Foundation. You know, it's it's horrific most countries in the world there the way i mean a, a dog globally has no legislation and our 600 million stray dog population in the world is not dealt with humanely in in most countries i mean some countries in europe yes have but, but even close to our home countries like france who dump a hundred thousand dogs a year, Spain and Italy who treat their hunting dogs with, I mean, the most abject of, of cruelty. I mean, it, this is, this is also on our doorstep, you know, and let's not get started on the sort of treatment of animals in shelters in the States and the, the millions of dogs living on the streets in the most horrific conditions from anywhere and everywhere, from the, the Middle East to Puerto Rico to Thailand, it, it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, even here, as, as you say, you know, looking at the government and how hard it's been, I imagine, and thanks to your tireless campaigning, that Lucy's Law actually came to fruition in April of this year. Yeah. And that, but that's taken you, you, as an intelligent, erudite, extraordinarily hardworking human being, 11 years to make yeah. real change, real change. Um, whereas it didn't have taken, I mean, why? Well, there are, there are reasons. First of all, what, I'll go back to your other point about the dogs being treated around the world badly. That's just dogs. We're not even talking about farm animals and, uh, and other animals, uh, which is, yeah. I mean, legislation aside, it's got to be changing attitudes that have got to um, make some progress in the future with regard to empathy, yeah. compassion and kindness globally. Um, yes. With regard to how, how long it took, yeah, it took a long time because, A, we had to <laughs> work out what we were doing and how Westminster kind of worked. And, uh, you know, what does an e-petition mean? What does it mean when you get 100,000 signatures? It doesn't guarantee anything at all. It just mm. means you're more, you're likely to get a debate. Um, and also there was certain reasons why it took so long involving um, certain organisations, for example, that are quite influential in the UK. Um, and some shenanigans that happened um, quite disingenuously behind the scenes that we had to keep on overcoming. Do you find it quite disheartening that large charities and I don't know how supported they are because I've always found it quite frustrating and I make no secret of the fact that I found the larger charities like Battersea and the Dogs Trust not really very supportive of 
educating people because they are enormous brands that yield and could wield a lot of power and support. And I just really never feel that they ever get behind any issue of animal welfare, certainly not globally because they want to keep everything here rightly or wrongly that's not my place to say but but certainly with an issue like yours where puppy mill farms are the most horrific places on earth and they're in wales ireland and now of course we have a lot of dogs coming from puppy mills from eastern europe particularly poland i believe you know that it's taken you to make this stop and to raise awareness and without, I imagine, or the support of these big brands that could educate us far better, far greater in how we responsibly buy a dog. Um, yeah, they, I mean, there is some education going on behind the scenes, but the most important thing to realise from what you just said is these organisations directly influence government policy. And it was that that um, delayed Lucy's law and the irony maybe if you call it irony but the frustration was at the beginning when we started campaigning those organizations that you've just mentioned and others Mm. supported it they shared the petition I I went to the rescue centers had my picture taken with a dog they were all behind it but at some point they all started to u-turn and not just u-turn but directly influenced behind the scenes um, Lucy's law not happening and Why? that was the trigger well that's the thing because never was a reason given that was actually evidence-based or ever proved it was all based on speculation but because they're such influences of government policy government listened repeatedly um, and that's actually why I set up the all-party parliamentary group for dog welfare was because yeah. We had reached such a brick wall in, I think it was 2017, in January, because we'd had the EFRA Select Committee inquiry, which was when 10 cross-party MPs scrutinised an existing piece of legislation, in this case, the Animal Welfare Act. It was the 10-year anniversary, so they scrutinised it, and they made a recommendation after visiting a fully licensed legal puppy farm in Wales to ban third-party sales of puppies, right? Brilliant. We've got, now yeah. got not just the public on side, not just most small to mid-sized charities on side, um, but we'd also uh, got the effort select committee. This is the, the committee that the government listens to. And of course, then we were pressuring them for an answer to say, so what are you going to do about it in the nicest possible way? And I remember going into a meeting, an incredible meeting, probably the game-changing meeting of all the, the, the whole 10 years, 11 years campaign, um, which is when the government minister who was... Um, who was just sitting across the desk quite quite nonchalantly really said we're not going to do it we're not going to bring in this ban and and we were like how could you not when you've heard the evidence the committees uh, suggested you've got all this other stuff going on and they said uh, we can't can't tell you and that's when i lost my temper which i very rarely do especially in a in, the, in a government meeting with the minister and, and, I said, and that was it they just said i can't tell you well, no, I said, uh, okay, um, no one leaves this room until we find out who's responsible. 
Oh. And I was standing about that close to the minister and we were sort of eyeballing each other. And he said, I still can't tell you. And I said, OK, play it my way. I, uh, this is all in the book. I had to document it because it's still, when I think back, it's so mental what I did. Um, but I said, OK, you're going to play my game. I'll say who I think it is and you're going to say yes or no. So I said who I thought it was and he said yes and no to some. Um, and uh, then we knew who had, who had been behind trying to derail and uh, uh, what's going on and then the only thing I could do because remember we had no resources the whole time and we're mm. dealing with the government we're dealing with the pet industry we're dealing with some of these rich big corporate charities was to set up this all-party parliamentary group for dog welfare which was actually Rob Flello's idea who's a, a Labour MP for Stoke South big dog lover that had an amazing um, rescue German shepherd called Diesel and we decided that in order to progress what we were doing, because we were at a massive dead end and we could, could have easily given up then, because in that meeting, in that same meeting, they said, this will not be looked at again for another five years. Ah! Right? You're kidding me. And we were, we were at our lowest ebb without a doubt. It was the darkest day. Um, so we set up this all-party parliamentary group in Westminster with a view, the only view, of bringing in representatives from those organizations, getting them to give evidence at, the, at our event, if you like, and then exposing them to the, a crowded room of campaigners and journalists, et cetera, that they had actually behind the scenes sent a joint briefing to derail the campaign. Um, and that was exposed and, and that was the pivotal moment because from then on, it was known by everybody because I couldn't expose, because no one would have believed me. But to have them uh, admit in a room and then expose them to everybody, it meant that we could now go, that's why this is not making any progress. And Lucy's Law is all about accountability. So any attempts to sabotage or block or derail uh, an opportunity to make all breeders accountable is in my view, it's, it's inexplainable. Yeah. So, so that's where the, the real progress happened. And, and around that time also, Lucy had just passed away in December 2016. Um, my dad had passed away also in 2016. We were, we were absolutely exhausted as campaigners. I'm and, so um, and then we, we started to sort of, it's a bit like in, in Terminator 2, you know, when the, the bits you of didn't mercury, get back. the mercury comes come back again and, and you know reforms um we did that but we we renamed the campaign lucy's law obviously after lucy in honor of lucy and it became had this personal feeling about it because lucy incredibly vulnerable looking abused cavalier king charles spaniel rescue from a puppy farm um and and she was already popular on facebook i think she had over seventy thousand likes on her facebook page lucy the rescue cavalier so it was a kind of a ready-made army. We, the rebrand was into Lucy's Law. My dad was in advertising, so I've always grown up with creativity and branding and the power of simplicity. Obviously, it's an alliteration, a dream alliteration, because it's Lucy's Law, which looks yeah. great on a hashtag. I worked with The Mirror. They became our media partner. We designed the, the logo for Lucy's Law. And all of a sudden, it took on a whole new life of its own. You know, we went to Crufts and gave out these rosettes, these official... Uh, rosettes uh, that that got us and we had a massive um, Mother's Day card because it was the Mothering Sunday at Crufts so we had a Mother's Day card three meter high Mother's Day card with Lucy's face in the middle saying happy Mother's Day question mark question mark about the breeding oh. dogs that then got on telly Fair Boarding then promoted it 
it was prime time on uh, just before Best in Show on Sunday night. We had an e-petition running at the time, which got about 20,000 signatures in that hour. So everything we did was strategic in terms of making the most out of the, the simplest of tools available. Yeah, and that's, and that's what got over the line. I mean, you know, it's obviously tragic that she passed, but the impact that that one dog has made in the world is it will go on for generations and generations i would encourage everyone to buy this amazing book lucy's law the book is the story of a little dog who who changed the world lucy this changed time the world. last year this time last year i was writing and and those three um, versions there are the the work working progresses when it was being edited down um, well, but yeah I, I do i advise people to get it not because you know it will buy my book but it's the story of, of Lucy, obviously, and how she was in a, in a puppy farm. Um, but it's also the story of grassroots campaigning and anyone wanting to change the law or raise awareness um, with the tools available, not just for animal welfare, but for protecting any of the most vulnerable, elderly, children. There's so much information in there that you can actually use yeah. to, for your own campaign, either join someone else's campaign, start your own. Um, that It's actually full of, full of tips, really, and advice about how to, change the world and Lucy changed the world and there's the story in there about how how I how when I when I came up with the idea of Lucy's law how I approached Lisa Lucy's owner and said to her if this works your dog is the dog that changes the world and uh incredibly emotional story and she has yeah. so Mark the big issue right now mm. is this continuation of a lack of education, a lack of awareness in people buying dogs from puppy mills. You know, we, we all know and talking to people about, oh, I want a puppy, especially right how many dogs have been brought over illegally throughout the pandemic. But, you know, people want a dog. I have to stop you there. And legally. And legally, even worse. That's the issue. But that's the issue. So, you know, so many people have got dogs in a pandemic. And this is another reason why I'm surprised that, you know, these big charities that were not wholeheartedly behind you, because often they're the ones that have to pick up the pieces of these people, people who are not educated enough to know how and where and how to buy a dog responsibly. And we, we know all the reasons I know that you, you will say, you know, you have to meet the mother, you have to make sure that you see the puppy with the mother um, and go and visit the puppy and where the dogs are living and to see where they're kept and they're clean and safe and being fed the right food and vaccinated and the mothers are looked after. And I think, I believe Kennel Club Law says that a uh, Kennel Club registered dog is only allowed to have, is it two litters a year? Uh, it's a tough one that because the the huge discrepancy between what a kennel club registered dog is and a kennel club assured breeder is right. So that needs clarification, and uh, the two are very very different. And that in itself needs clarification to the public. Right. So it's an in, it, a kennel club registered dog is an endorsement by the kennel club in the public's eyes, but it's not always. The most responsibly bred puppy. Okay, so what can we do, and what should we be doing, and what are you doing? Because 
I think, you know, we've got to such a horrific state, partially because of the pandemic, that we brought um, 40 dogs over from Bulgaria this Saturday, legally, uh, from an amazing charity called Street Hearts Bulgaria. And every month we bring over dogs from all over the world legally. Um, but speaking to Emma and Anthony, who run Street Hearts Bulgaria, they come over on a channel tunnel. And this last Saturday and the Saturday three, four weeks before, Emma was incredibly upset because there are literally 20, 30 vans on the channel crossing. I think they come over on the Eurostar. But there are also immigrant workers coming in and they're carrying dogs, dogs that don't look well. Don't, that are not being very well treated. She said she saw a sort of bison frise being literally dragged across the this area uh, at Calais. There's there was no not one of these vans, Mark, was stopped or checked. Mm-hmm. Not one of these people carrying dogs because they say they're pets were turned away. So that there's already an issue there that wherever these dogs are coming in from and we all know that these dogs are being literally farmed horrifically in parts of eastern europe and i believe particularly poland and people are buying these dogs they're paying an absolute fortune you know so i know someone who paid eight thousand pounds for a bulldog french bulldog puppy i know people who have paid three thousand pounds for a dachshund and we know that these dogs will have come from the most horrific situations, will probably yeah. lead their lives being sick, poorly, being taken away from their mothers way too young. They've been vaccinated, if at all, way too young. Um, they will have horrific health problems throughout their year. And on top of that, with the lack of the support of the, the major contenders here, in, like Battersea and the Dogs Trust and the RSPCA, a lot of those dogs find their way into those shelters, those uh, Battersea and the RSPCA. I think there's a alarming statistic that after, seven, after Christmas, 75% of dogs at the Dogs Trust are designer dogs that people just don't want anymore or are too sick and can't afford the vet's bills or have to move house because of course when you adopt a dog from us or from any reputable charity you know we have to make sure that the dog is going into a home where it's actually allowed to go into a home and we know that there are none of these checks that people just want a dog and they want a dog here and now and you and I could probably go online right now and get I don't know five multipoos delivered this afternoon there's a lot of issues you've raised in that Okay, let me try and summarize what do we why, do? why this is an issue. Um, firstly, it's totally legal to import pups under six months of age, right? Without their mums and, and, and sell them without their mums. So that's, that's, that's the main real issue. So Lucy's law came in, um, but and due to mainly really due to the the passing of the pomeranian pup mr chai from the love island couple back in early lockdown yeah. a puppy that was imported couriered into the uk we think it was flown to amsterdam with some other puppies uh, came then by road to direct to the owner um there's this other route to market which is totally legal but it doesn't involve any licensed premises in the uk so they're kind of imported as goods. 
Um, the problem is, well, there's many problems, but they do come from uh, low welfare, let's say, establishments, for example, puppy farms. Um, and, and, and really, the, 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 the definition of responsible breeder is someone who actually meets the people that that puppy's going to, without a doubt. So let's just say they're irresponsibly bred and then sold in yep. the UK. Um, the minimum age is 15 weeks to import a puppy, right? Now, this is crucial because... But they're young. Even as they're yeah they're young, but even as a vet, it's very hard to identify the age of a puppy that's precisely 15 weeks of age. It could be 13, 14, 15, 16. It's it's really hard, and sometimes with the small breeds, the Chihuahuas, the Pugs, even harder. Shape of the mouth, etc. So we have an issue with identification of age. Firstly, and a lot of these, a lot of that is abused then because puppies come in and they they can be four weeks old and no one even knows or looks or really can can identify the age, and then enforce law. So we have the problem with that. We also have a problem with the fact that there's a lot of disease coming in from abroad now, uh, not just for dogs but for humans too. There's rabies risk. Um, we've got elephosis, we've got babesiosis, we've got distemper. These are really serious diseases, not just to um, to dogs but to humans yeah. too so we've got this zoonotic disease risk which in the, in the world's current climate should be actually ringing alarm bells about diseases passed from animals to humans um and we have you know we have a Never situation more <laughs> we have a situation where there's this massive demand and people you know you say about the education i do believe there's a lot of education out there the problem is people don't really care People just want a puppy. Yeah. They, they know they're sometimes maybe doing the wrong thing. But the heart is definitely overruling the, the brain. And they just want a puppy. And they also know that if it doesn't work out, there's places that will take them, you know, rescue centres, etc. So what we're doing about this, uh, to address that question, is we set up a campaign, again, quite early in lockdown, um, which is to ban the legal import of young puppies. Right. So let's say that a young puppy yeah. is below six months. The reason that's significant is because at six months of age, the permanent dentition comes through the secondary teeth. Impossible to forge. It's the only thing about a puppy coming into the UK that is impossible to forge. Forget documentation, forget microchip numbers, you know, forget passports. That's all really easy to forge. The teeth can't be forged. And that is the only thing that can allow effective enforcement. Who is checking this, Mark? With Brexit coming, all animals have to be inspected at ports of entry. Right. And it's actually easier to inspect than a puppy and check its teeth um, than any, anything else. Documentation, false microchips, the traceability. Yeah. The age is the most important. Okay. And that going forward has to be the one thing that we, we hook everything on. And that's what the campaign's... Uh, calling for um, the reason that's also important is because there's a lot of talk of illegal puppy smuggling right now illegal puppies are also young below six months so if you actually raise that age of any puppy entering the UK to six months it means that that stops the illegal trade as well because if I'm if I'm a puppy owner and I've got my puppy from a dodgy source and it gets ill I go to the vet and the vet goes Where'd you get this from? Oh, I, I didn't see the mum. It was imported. Here's the passports. It's below six months, which obviously everyone can tell now because of the teeth. 
they then can get investigated. Yeah. And it, it's all about accountability. And the only way to make imported puppies accountable, whether they're legally imported or illegally imported, is with the teeth. Right. And, and uh, just to add on that, the practicalities that offers as well with regard to rabies vaccination is because rabies can then be vaccinated against. It can also then allow us to wait past the maximum incubation period of the virus. So we know when those puppies are coming in yeah. six months, they are completely rabies free. They can't have rabies. Um, and also they're more robust to travel. They're potentially socialized if there's a breeder somewhere. Uh, and that actually will stop all these young puppies coming in, dying on route, the, the atrocious conditions they're kept in, and actually mean that we, we, we kind of improve uh, the, the, the whole process of puppy buying from abroad. So my biggest concern about this because yes absolutely this is what should be happening there doesn't seem to be as yet any interest in stopping these puppies which i would say are some as probably as young as six to eight weeks old because wherever there is zero animal welfare it's all about monetary gain so the sooner you take those dogs or those puppies away from their mother they can be forced back into breeding and you're gonna get more puppies the, the younger they leave the more puppies they can get breeding and out into the world and people pick up their puppies as they are as eight eight weeks old potentially and how do we actually stop these illegal or like you say you know these this mass of puppies that are entering this country to create this extraordinary demand right now of dogs during our pandemic because it seriously worries me and it's going to have a serious knock-on effect you know when everyone goes back to some sort of normalcy where people go back to work or you know have a life or any of those things but it's all about money mark isn't it it's all yeah, about every, money. everything is and, most things are and that's very hard to stop it's not just that but there's a paranoia also uh let's just say with some of the most influential organizations and stakeholders in the country of not enough puppies to supply the demand and i'll leave that with you um but that is going on and and the government then listen to that and go we need to make sure that there's always a, a, a supply and uh, to, to maintain um, to, to maintain the supply because of the demand. But the thing is, that's, that's never, ever been evidence based. And we know that just because someone wants a dog doesn't mean they have to have a dog. And what we have in this country, also true, what we have in this country and globally is the ease of convenience, the click culture of having a dog. Yeah. And then off the off the back of that, saying, "Well, there's uh, some, uh, nine million dogs in in this country, so we need maybe eight hundred thousand a year. We need and this. This was actually um, flagged or, or highlighted in the in the last in the last uh, evidence inquiry for the EFRA committee. This need, it was said by an organisation, this need for a certain number of dogs every year, which is wow. really really hard to take because." That's saying, no matter where they come from, we need that number. So we have to maintain a supply from overseas to, to make up numbers. Because God forbid that the British breeders, responsible breeders, couldn't deliver that number. 
But the number's been made up. The number's there because people can do it. It's an inflated false number. So that also needs to change, that culture of this need for this certain number of dogs. Um, and people need to learn to wait. You can supply 800,000 dogs into this country. Right. Uh, yeah, I can, I can bring them from all over the world. People waited for toilet paper. They can wait for a puppy. Yes, everyone can wait for a puppy. And that's part one of my chat with the amazing Mark Levet. I'll be back same time next week with Mark, where we can talk about his petition, ban the exploitative import of young puppies for sale in the UK. And I ask him when he's going to get a dog. Not yet. I can barely look after myself because of all the, the campaign. But I've promised myself when we get this over the line and we raise the minimum import age to six months, that my, my kind of prize is going to be rescuing, I think, a, a greyhound. Dog Bless You was produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions and presented by me, Nikki Tibbles. Theme music by Mike Hansen. And if you want to join or contribute to the Wild at Heart Foundation, please go to wildatheartfoundation.org. Thank you so much and see you soon. Pod People.